When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Political Party. This is the first of two Christmas specials featuring Yvette Cooper and Emily Thornbury. Uh, this is the first half of the show and then the second half uh, will go out in a week's time. And this was... The Christmas specials are always brilliant fun, but this was particularly wonderful. Um, partly thanks to um, uh, a poem, I guess you could call it, or a song that um, Emily wrote. And this is a real mixture of end-of-term party, proper deep politics and and political analysis and and political thoughts. Um, Some Christmas stuff, some silly stuff. I mean, this just goes off in all directions, um, as does part two. So this is is a really special night. Um, The wonderful MP4 were there as well, uh, the best house band in UK showbiz, and uh, it was just wonderful. So um, I hope you have a great Christmas wherever you are. I hope you manage to stay warm, and and stay happy and and to um just find a way to enjoy it i know it's not everyone's favorite time of year but i I do love christmas and i love these christmas specials um next year the show obviously returns at the duchess theater with my god the first one back phenomenal monday the 23rd of january with emily maitlis and john sopel aka the news agents Uh, i'm on the verge of being able to announce my guest for the 6th of february but hold tight for that follow me on twitter because i'll probably announce it there um first and on monday the 20th of february it's keir starmer and on monday the 6th of march it's eddie izzard more guests to be announced uh, in the coming weeks and months but for now merry christmas happy new year and enjoy part one of an amazing christmas special with yvette cooper and emily thornbury please welcome our first guest my god we have two phenomenal guests tonight it's an end of term special Tonight's first guest is someone who's never been on the show before. I have interviewed her before, but never on the political party. I've been trying for years to get her on, and I'm delighted that she's finally able to do it. One of the biggest stars, not just in the Labour Party, but in British politics. Someone that many people, not just on the left, but on the centre and the right as well, would love to see as a future Prime Minister. Amazing as uh, Chair of the Home Affairs Select Committee, and now one of the leading stars. That's... The bookies say will be forming the next cabinet, potentially the next Home Secretary of the UK. Please raise the roof for Yvette Cooper! (laughs) Was that a a take on little um, Red Corvette? Yeah, it's it's disappointing if we have to explain that. I'm just so used to explaining all my jokes, I, I do it for other people as well. Um, Yvette, welcome to the show. Thank you. Have you done stuff with MP4 before? Uh, bit, I've been launched lots of MP4 events, they're brilliant. Not at all. Yvette and Ed were on Have I Got News For You, dancing to MP4. It's true. <laughs> at the Albert Hall? Yeah. 
Not the real Albert Hall. Yeah. But in the side room. But the side room. It was like the Royal Albert. Son of Albert Hall. All right. Tonight's second guest, ladies and gentlemen, has done the show a few times before and he's always absolutely phenomenal. One of the most charismatic and funny politicians in the UK and tip to be the next Attorney General of the UK Cabinet. Please raise the roof for Emily Thornbury. classic that people of a certain age remember. It's Blackberry Way. By the oh, Moon. By the Moon. So Thornbury Way. Oh. Look, there's not a lot to work with with Emily Thornbury. <laughs> see Emily play? Yeah, we thought about that one. Oh, okay. See Emily play, yeah, we did. Or Hot Chocolate. Emily. 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 Uh, Gonna write your name high on the screen. Craig rejected all of it. <laughs> well, this has become needlessly sense. Um, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, MP4 will be back later in the show. Please give it up for the amazing MP4! Just a little while, sort of unplug and stuff. Don't oh, yeah, this way. Ladies and gentlemen, MP4! I think you used to go through the right lobby. Turn it, There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, MP4! <laughs> So, Beth, I've never had you on the show before. I'm delighted that you're here. Thank you for having me. Emily, you've been on many times and it's always a great Once. Life. Was it just once? <laughs> once. But it felt... felt like more. Yeah, it did feel like more. That's a compliment, well, I mean that in a good way. I think... I've, I think... OK. Once. OK. Well, now it's twice. I wasn't given gin before. Well, we've upgraded I thought this was dishes. water. I just tried to gin. The water's underneath. <laughs> Um, so, Merry Christmas to you both. Oh, first things first, we have to deal with this, obviously. Um, the World Cup has finished, and um, England, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, God. Did, did you have a flag out, Emily? <laughs> <laughs> no, but we were, we were watching it. We were watching it. It was disappointing. It was disappointing, but, you know, they did well. I mean, they did well. Yes. I mean, actually, they did well. So, you know, they got into the quarterfinals and they didn't get any further, but they did well. So what? It's okay. You know, we're top eight teams in the world. That's okay. You put it like that. I should be an England manager, I know. You should. <laughs> and do you, does, is there a kind of Labour view on Southgate? Is he, uh, is he the right man to Yes. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. And do you get upset by it, Yvette? Do you get into football and get emotional? Or? I, I no, I really don't. I, so I, I mean, I have been watching the World Cup. I, we did watch the we did watch the final. And we were actually we were supposed to be watching we were supposed to be watching a show at the the, the time of a children's uh, panto, and we were actually the the tech guy was late arriving, and it was all supposedly to do with the trains. We think he was actually French and was in the pub next door <laughs> and was delayed the start so that everybody could watch the penalties at the end. I don't. I know, as you know, Ed is a big football fan. He watches the football, and the very, when we first started going out with each other, I did used to go to matches with him. It was like I went to about two, and I was so disinterested that it was it was Norwich versus West Ham, and we actually I wasn't even watching, and the ball came out into the stands, and Ed stood up and caught the ball, <laughs> and I wasn't watching. <laughs> right. So if he hadn't caught it, it would have hit me on the side of the head. I was so oblivious. So that's not that's a good, good record. We saved your life. Apparently, yes. 
And what sort of football fan is he? Is he sort of swearing at the telly? Is he throwing stuff or does he, does he remain calm and zen? Well, when Norwich loses, which is quite often, <laughs> yeah, uh, he is in a very bad mood. Poor Ed. Yeah. But he can dance, can't he, to cheer himself up? <laughs> he, yes, he can. Well, yes, he, he dances, yes, to cheer himself up, yes. Because obviously I don't want to just talk about Ed, but you were the first. And I, I don't think anyone else since has been a married couple around the cabinet table. Yeah, I think that's right. Does that put pressure... Like, I mean, I guess it brings political pressure. Does it put pressure on a relationship, something like that? Um, I think it just it sort of slightly adds to the, to the level of chaos. Um, we did... <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we did try at one point, completely unsuccessfully, we did try and get the timings of cabinet meetings moved so that they weren't early in the morning, so it was possible for at least one of us to do a school run beforehand, but, but totally failed. Gordon didn't, didn't quite see, <laughs> see the argument for it. But is, do you have... Because obviously there are tensions in any shadow cabinet or cabinet, mm. and then there are allies and there are cliques and there are groups, just naturally, even if it's just about political wings. Did people, you know, when you're around the cabinet table, was Ed Miliband over there going, oh, God, look at them two whispering to each other, for God's sake. <laughs> They're gagging up all us again. Do you know what? We actually, we didn't. We didn't tend to have that much discussion. But there was, there was a thing uh, in the cabinet at that time, and they did, I think David Cameron then like, banned this. We all had phones, and text messages was a new thing. So we would be sending messages to each other or passing notes in the middle of the, the cabinet. Unheard of since, they banned phones from the cabinet. But, I mean, that would drive people mad, wouldn't it? Because yeah. you clearly sort of... I'm sure not slagging each other off, perhaps making non-verbal contributions to cabinet discussions that other colleagues may have misinterpreted as not being fully supportive of perhaps whatever leadership there was at the time. I'm sure it was all in the, in the best interests of a Labour government, at least, you know, which would have been part of a Labour government to actually be doing things was, yeah, was pretty different from what we've had to put up with since. Well, but now, now you're on the brink of government. I mean... All the years, Emily, I've interviewed you, God, 15, 16 times. In the last, <laughs> in the last few years, you know, barely a month goes by when we're not together talking about politics. Um, this is the first time, really, well, since Labour lost in 2010, when it really feels like Labour might win the next election. Is, is that sort of energy palpable around the shadow cabinet? It's kind of yes and no, I'm afraid. There's a bit of that, but I think there is also a great nervousness because... You know, we don't want to believe the polls. We have had our, we have been burned so often. Um, I'm old enough to remember '92. I, you know, I remember cooking food. A pe- I had a, I had a banquet. I had fr- all my friends around, and I, and I cooked red food. And we were gonna, uh, yeah, and we were gonna have like red food. We were gonna watch, you know, Neil Kinnock get elected as prime minister, and it was just. I mean, I'll never forget it. It was terrible. And we were yet, we were supposed to. We was, it was so much a walk in the park. We were going to win, and we didn't. So, I mean, I'm not the only one. It's burnt on our soul, you know, in our collective memory that you can't... It's only the only poll that matters is on the day when people actually vote. No, that's the only one that matters. So, but most importantly, red food. So, yeah, yeah. so I had so pink, pink trout, I remember. I remember oh, pink nice. trout, strawberries, yeah. red wine. <laughs> Might have been just that. Tin tomatoes, ketchup. Yeah, well, get in touch on the break. Tweet us and let us know for the next election party what, what we could have. But um, but it must feel obviously 
in atmosphere different to the Corbyn years? It must feel like at least you're in a position where you, it's p- possible you could win. Although I guess after 2017, it must have been a bit of that. It was very strange, you know. I remember 2017, the night of 2017, um, and that election when everybody said we were going to get completely smashed to pieces, you know, and we definitely didn't. And I'd been put up to do first response on telly. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be in the television studios when the results come out. I'm just not going to. That's that. I'm not going to. So I'll, I'll come on 10 minutes afterwards when I've had a chance to kind of catch my breath and work out, you know, how to kind of put a positive light on this and everything. And I, and I remember we pulled in and there was me and a member of my staff and we were in a little minicab. And I'd asked the minicab to like hide around the corner and so that, you know, so that I couldn't get spotted by any passing journos. And I told him he had to put the, the radio on. And he put the radio on, and the results, the, the results of the exit poll came out. And we were screaming and rocking and shouting. And, I mean, anybody going past that car must have wondered what the hell was going on. <laughs> anyway, we calmed down, we calmed down. And then we came out, and I just, sort of, I just smiled like a Cheshire cat for the rest of the night. Because actually, you know, there was more, there was more fight in us than people thought. There was, and that was a big result. So there was definitely an energy around Labour then, but... That kind of dissipates, obviously, then 2019 was a bit of a, a yeah, disappointment. It got, yeah, it got pretty sticky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's amazing, actually. Amazing, not just Keir Starmer's leadership with the party collectively, is in a position, especially after its worst ever defeat, to even be in the conversation about winning the next election. I mean, Yvette, you've been front, you've been government, cabinet, you've done everything, backbench, chair of the select committee, now a leading member of the shadow cabinet. How does this compare to those other eras that you've experienced? So... I think I've never seen anything quite so sort of turbulent, but also move so fast. Mm. And look, some of that is that politics moves faster nowadays with you know, social media and rolling news and so on moves faster. But I do also think it's the, the, the nature of the leadership that Keir has shown over the last three years and the, the turnaround. And he has been seriously focused every step of the way on the things that need to change. To, to get us back to the point where, um, you know, Emily's right, we have no complacency and we know there's still a long way to go, but where I think the work that he's done, the leadership he's shown, has meant he's put together a team that looks like a government in waiting and is ready, frankly, to do a considerably better job on every single level than the total jokes that we have in power right now. Yeah. Jocelyn has constantly talked about as a future Labour leader, and obviously you stood for the leadership against Jeremy Corbyn, um, and then you find yourself on the backbenchers. I mean, at that point, in, basically from 2015 to 2019, at any point did you think, I just can't be here anymore, I, I want to get out? I think you always sort of think about what can you do, that's, what can you do to make a difference, what can you do that's useful, and... I suppose the the select committee was that ability to scrutinise, to ask questions, to challenge, to probe, did still feel like it has a sense of purpose. With the, the constituency side of things, you still feel every single day there are things that you can do, um, there are things that you can do to change things. You know, I'm not going to lie, it was a tough period, and, and I think we're still seeing tough consequences for the country as a result of, you know, our failure to get our act together, but also the total failure of the damage that the government has done, the Conservatives have done to the country as a result. So I think you kind of always just feel a sense of responsibility of the things you can and still should do to try and change things. 
that leadership election, I mean, it was one of the most incredible <laughs> periods, really, in British political history, let alone in Labour history, where effectively this outsider storms it and blows away established high-profile candidates like Self and Andy Burnham and, and, and obviously Liz Kendall. There's the one bit I remember, I mean, obviously there are various moments where it's obvious, but the bit I really remember is the Sky News debate, mm-hmm. when you ask Jeremy Corbyn about quantitative easing. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone else remembers this, you can go on YouTube and just type it in, Yvette Cooper, quantitative easing. And um, it's, on my, it's always on my recent searches after <laughs> England goals and red food. It's just, it's always, it's always doing the top. There's a bit where you're, he's basically saying we'll just print money. And it's obviously he doesn't know what quantitative easing is, and you basically get him, and there's a kind of flicker in his eyes where you say, you know the money needs to be paid back. And obviously he didn't know that, but the juggernaut is just with him and it kind of goes anyway. But you holding him to account during that debate, I think is one of the, and obviously you've got this amazing forensic ability when, you're, um, when you chair the select committee and you use it in the House Commons now, across the dispatch box. But did you know in advance, I bet he doesn't know what this is and I'm going to get him? Or did it, you, you, you sort of sense it as that debate starts to roll away from you? I think we just was trying to just, I suppose, make the issue about what are the real consequences? What are the real consequences when, when you get things wrong, when um, you know, you're not serious about what it means for the economy, what it means for people's jobs? Actually, what we saw with Liz Truss and Quasi Quartet, the total chaos and lack of consequences. So I suppose I was just trying to get to what is really going to matter for people's jobs and um, and for people's lives, if you just make things up as you go along, in the way that I think we have seen the Tories do. It's an amazing bit of television. I mean, obviously, there's so many moments you've had. Both of you have faced Suella Braverman in various roles. Now, um, <laughs> friend of the show, friend of the show. Um, <laughs> So, well, um, it, obviously, the Supreme Court says ruled that the deportation of, of uh, people to Rwanda is lawful. Um, Emily, you obviously come from a, a legal background. You faced a, effectively an illegal brief. Um, how do you feel about that ruling? I think it's called to appeal, so I think it could still go to the Supreme Court. So let's see where it goes next. I think sometimes people focus on the legal side of things when there is something which is even more important which is what's right, and what's fair, and what's decent. And I think that it fails those tests, and to be honest, that's kind of more important than anything else, really. Um, I don't know how much... I mean, I think that the the effect of the judgment is that um, the government is supposed to spend even more money on it um, to make sure that it's done properly, which, I mean, I presume will, I mean, Yvette knows better than me, but I think it must add up to about a million pounds per person it'll cost in the end. It's like they've already spent 140 million pounds in writing checks to Rwanda, and the, it's clear from the court judgment that it's going to involve significant additional sums, and is likely to, what it looks like at the moment is this is about a million pounds per person, yeah. And they've also, you know, the decisions that they took didn't take account of evidence around torture or trafficking or any of those things. And, you know, you could be putting that money into going after the criminal gangs that are responsible for these dangerous boats, real dangerous boats where lives are being lost. And yet the 
prosecution of the convictions for people smuggling has dropped by 75% in the last two years. So they could be going after the criminals, and instead they're just going for the rhetoric, ramping up the rhetoric and chasing headlines, rather than doing the serious hard graft to sort out the criminal gangs and sort out this you know, shocking backlog where decisions just aren't being taken, and that is bad for everyone. It's, that, it's so typical. It's a typical kind of bit of policy from Boris Johnson and from Suella Ruffman. It's all about strike a pose, you know, get a, get a certain section to roar you on, divide the public, but it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work. I mean, you know, politics ought to be about the graft, ought to be about doing things that actually work. You know, we could spend the money on chasing the gangs, we could spend the money on making some decisions. You know, I mean, I've got, I have, you know, hotels full of people who have been there for so long. And these families just can't start their lives, can't do anything. You know, they're just waiting for a decision before they can actually, you know, get their papers, get their status, then they can get a job and they can start their lives again in Britain. But, you know, we spend a fortune looking after them. You know, they don't want to be there. They don't want to be looked after. They want to kind of start again, you know, but we, until a decision is made, nothing can happen. What are we doing? We don't ha- we're not making any decisions. We're just doing this kind of like performance politics instead. I think. 98% of the people, the cases where people have arrived on small boats in the last 12 months, all organised by the criminal gangs, 98% of those cases have not had a decision made in the last 12 months. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, that's one element of it, obviously. I mean, it, the problem is when... when Someone like Boris Johnson brings in a policy like this. Mm. It's natural to be cynical about it. And what they, it feels like what they're trying to do is be provocative and strike a pose, but then try and say, oh, actually, this is about trafficking, and, and there is a reason why. I mean, I didn't realise until this debate how many people do try and enter the UK on small boats. About 40,000 in just the first nine months. It's a lot of people are... You realise, actually, there's obviously an issue with that, but... Yeah, and, it's been a big in- it, and that's been a big increase in the last three years. In a very short period of time, what's happened is the criminal gangs have effectively proliferated. It has become a multi-million pound criminal industry along the border. But there is no serious action to go after those gangs. And that's why, you know, it is literally about three convictions a month for people smuggling, for something where you could have 8,000 people's lives be put at risk in the dangerous boats. And so that's why this, this failure to the allowing both in the French and British side of the channel, if you're failing to go after the criminal gangs, failure to take that coordinated action, they are profiting from putting people's lives at risk. And it is just a complete kind of failure of duty, really, for... The, the British and French authorities to go after those gangs and actually get some prosecutions and get some justice for people. I mean, obviously, Labour, uh, when it wins, is often tough on crime. Could, could Labour maybe outflank the Tories here and say, right, we're going to do two things. One, blame the French. Two, <laughs> deport the gang leaders to Rwanda. And that's like a win-win. Or, or is, that, is that 
Maybe well, at the moment, they're not even calling. They're catching, not catching the gangs, are they? They're not, they're not deporting anybody. They're not catching the gangs and they're not deporting anybody, but they're giving Rwanda millions and millions of pounds and they're fighting it all out in the courts and people continue to come and people continue to drown. I mean, that's what's happening. And I've continued to have, you know, hotels full of people. I have, I have a former magistrate's court full of, full of uh, people seeking asylum as well, in police cells. Hey, this is Britain. So, you've both faced Suella Braverman. Uh, you faced her as uh, Shadow Attorney General, mm. and, and now she's Home Secretary, and you faced her as Shadow Home Secretary. Um, I'd be interested to hear your, your differing takes on how you've found her as an opponent. I mean, uh, do people underestimate her? Is, is there another <laughs> side to it? <laughs> Uh, so this is the lawyer. Uh, when she was Attorney General, she uh, gave instructions to her lawyers to stop telling her that things were illegal. <laughs> She's, this is the lawyer who had, I think it was 150 lawyers writing in to say, stop calling, stop having a go at lefty lawyers. This is the rule of law. You know, whenever they say lefty lawyers, what they mean is, Blinking law gets in our way. We're not allowed to do illegal things. You know, these judges implying the law are stopping us from doing whatever we want. We think we're Julius Caesar. We think we're gods. We can do whatever we want. And yet the law keeps stopping us. Well, that's called the rule of law. You know, and Suella, it's your job, dear. You know, when you're around the cabinet table, do tell the prime minister about that. But no, she always just thought that she was Boris Johnson's cheerleader and would just be there to kind of... It was like, you know, so I remember asking her a question. Um, so there have been, there have been, you know, all this stuff about, uh, about whether or not they're, they're, the way they're going to try and solve the Northern Ireland problem with this legislation, whether that in, in itself is illegal. So there's been a challenge about that and so on. And uh, Suella Braverman had got legal advice on it. And, and lo and behold, Newsnight knew all about it. And I think the, um, I don't know which other, one of the newspapers knew all about it. And so, you know, obviously you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to leak legal advice. And, it, and, you know, what had come out was what was in the legal advice, which was that it was all perfectly legal and everything was fine. So I just asked her at Attorney General's questions, I don't want you to tell me the contents of the advice because I know you're not supposed to, but given that it ended up in front of Newsnight and in one of the newspapers, could you just tell me who leaked it? And she went completely nuts. Completely just shit crazy. <laughs> she just started going on about, about, about woke, about Islington, about, about vans, about how much she loved Boris Johnson, about, about Brexit. I was just like, I only asked. That's all I asked. You know, but I mean, she's known as Leaky Sue. And she is... And she's now been promoted to Home Secretary. She's in charge of... of, of I mean, she's in charge of, of Homeland Security and she can't be trusted with secrets. <laughs> this is where we are. And then she gets sacked for, se for, for leaking something and six days later, along comes Rishi Sunak and goes, oh, I'll tell you what, Suella, why don't you come back? I believe in second chances. <laughs> Do they have nobody else? Is there no one else left in the Tory party that can be Home Secretary? Well, I guess it was a, a political appointment, wasn't it, to secure his leadership and uh, well, didn't go to membership, but... If <laughs> 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 you face her every week, sometimes people do have a constructive... You might disagree fundamentally politically with someone, or even the way they handle their business, but sometimes people with the same brief will find a way to con constructively work. Do you have as a constructive relationship as you can? 
So the thing is, we, we just had some totally bonkers debates. So we had the debate, it was that week where, you know, we were already on our third Prime Minister, fourth one coming. The, um, we were on our, I think, what, no, sorry, yeah, we're on a second, we're on our third one coming. You used to count, don't you? You just totally lose count. So we're on our second Prime Minister, third one coming, third Chancellor, fourth one coming. Markets were crashing. The pension funds were having to be bailed out. We just had this vote where the Chief Whip had resigned and then unresigned, and, you know, and we stood up in this debate. And Suella Braverman called me a coalition of chaos. <laughs> and it was kind of, the thing is, it was, so, it was so bonkers. And I was actually laughing so much at it that I actually missed the line that everybody else then quoted about, you know, the tofu-eating wokerati, which, to be honest, would have been even more rich because, of course, you know, look, Ed's the grandson of a butcher. We eat quite a lot of meat in our house. And they told me afterwards, Suella Braverman is a vegetarian. <laughs> literally eats more tofu than I do. Well, that's what's called Leaky Sue. It's her favourite bed. Um, <laughs> Madeline, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, tofu's not red either, so it wouldn't have been... It wouldn't no. have passed the Thornbury test. Um, tofu, lettuce, it's just, you know, the food thing going <laughs> on. Do you feel... Because um, it feels like sometimes... The Tories deliberately, you know, strike players on Rwanda or this woke thing. Like the passages in Liz Truss's speech about these pundits who go from podcasts yes, and all this sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Do you sometimes think, even though it's quite clumsy, maybe even the bankers' bonuses thing falls into this, but it, there's definitely a kind of trap for Labour to, to yeah. fall into and to almost be um, not morally superior, but they're, they're almost inviting Labour people to go, actually, there's nothing wrong with Tofu and podcasts. And obviously, I would totally agree. But it, 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 it's, does that, even as clumsy as it looks, does that still present a, a political challenge? I think we're trying to play for division. That's what they're doing. They're just trying to just, you know, to pick fights, and it's all about distraction. You know, we have the, the state of the country at the moment. If you look at what's happening in our public services, you look at the huge long waiting lists. So we've never seen record waiting lists for NHS treatment. You know, when I'm being in government, where you know you were guaranteed a GP appointment within two days, and now they expect us to be grateful because they're promising a, a GP appointment within two weeks. You've got the fear, real feeling you don't see the police on the streets anymore, a real feeling that the country's broken and these shockingly low levels of growth that underpins all of it. And I think it's faced with that what they're trying to do is just have distractions and pick fights over things that can try and divide people. And I just think people just see through it. I think, I think that's right. And I think it's also, I think it does come back to Brexit. I think that we had an election in 2019 which was about Brexit. And, they, and that did well for them. They won, you know, with a massive majority. So divide people up, say we're going to deliver on Brexit. Well, let's not stop, let's stop talking about Brexit because maybe that's not such, you know, going quite so well. So let's find some new things that we can fight people on. Like the responsibility of government is to bring people together, particularly post-Brexit, quite frankly. Have a responsibility. You know, when you divide people up, when you start dog-whistling, it's people's lives you're messing around with. So it's very difficult... I think, on the left, because you want to kind of come out of the traps and just go, how dare you, you know? But actually, you also have to be very careful not to encourage them. You have to kind of continue to stand for decent values, and you have to, to a certain extent, absorb some of these jibes, but just make it clear that, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. There is an alternative. There is a decent, honourable party that wants to be the next government. And that, you you just have to kind of, like, we actually stand for British values and these guys don't. And do you get the sense, because it's so hard, um, sometimes from the outside looking in, 
on things like public opinion to know whether the woke stuff cuts through. My instinct is that oh, it doesn't... No, no, but people don't. I mean, you talk to people and they just go, what is it all about? <laughs> really, what's it all about? Why aren't they doing something about the nurses? Why aren't they sorting out the train strikes? You know, why aren't they, as, as, as Yvette says, do you do something about GP appointments? People have just sick and tired of it. Or people's energy bills, or the cost yeah, of living crisis, right, exactly. or the things that actually make a real difference that. to people's lives. They just want to. They just want to talk about anything else. It's like you know, like magicians do. You know, you kind of go, look over here, look over here, look here. But whilst you're sort of strangling the rabbit with the other hand, <laughs> and that's what that's a leak magic act. Yeah. Well, it's a Tory magic act. <laughs> Come on, keep up. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I can see that. <laughs> Great show. But you're right. I mean, it's just sometimes I wonder on the doorstep, you know, in, in places like the so-called Red Wall, mm. you could see how... Actually, no, I think that's slightly unfair, but I, I think okay. in certain areas you could see how when the government's doing well and Boris Johnson's in charge, that they might be able to provoke people in a particular way. But now that the economy's gone the way it has, I can't believe that people's first thought is... I, I, saw this, I saw this word cloud, I think it was shown to us in Shadow Cabinet. I was right at the other end of the room, so I can never see. So I kind of like skipped around and had a look, because what I was looking for on this word cloud, you know they ask and say, what do the Tories stand for? And then they just write down what people, and the more people say, the, big, the bigger the words are. But never mind what, there wasn't a single nice word. That was the point. I think that they have passed over. I think that people have no time for Tories now. I think there's a little bit of kind of give Sunak a chance, but not very much of a chance, and he certainly hasn't had a bounce. And they're just people are done. They're done with this lot. They want to have an election. What words were on the word cloud? <sighs> Can you remember what they were? Rich. Yeah, yeah, rich, privileged, <laughs> useless. <laughs> no. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> and what, were you shown one for Labour? No, I don't think we were. <laughs> <laughs> Don't show him that one. Maybe, maybe in the new year. <laughs> and how is shadow cabinet then? I mean, obviously every leader has their own style. You've sat around cabinet tables and shadow cabinet tables. How does Keir's compare to Gordon's or Tony's? So I guess uh, the big difference, obviously, is we're in the shadow cabinet rather than cabinet. Uh, sadly, um, I, I mean, no, it's a uh, you know, it's quite serious, quite focused, but actually, show so with the cabinets. Yeah. As well. Um, yeah, we get biscuits. Ooh! Red ones? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're not blue, so. <laughs> what sort of biscuits? Good quality? No. Custard creams, bourbons? Yeah, yeah, those sort of things. You're the not plastic, like, like the little plastic covered ones. So the sort you get in a hotel room? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's better than nothing, isn't it? And do, 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 does Kate have a little. <laughs> I know, they started putting in fruit, I had to object. <laughs> yeah, but fruit's good. And fruit is good, except when they give them apples. I mean, some of these men power eating apples. It's really bad, honestly. Okay, who's the worst offender? Who do you think? Ooh. What, would it be Keir? No. Okay. I'm trying to picture uh, David Lammy? No. Uh, Jonathan Ashworth? No, no, okay. You're never going to get there by this rate. You're just going to go through all Peter Kyle. Pat McFadden. Pat, Peter Kyle is pretty bad. He sits next to me. He's pretty bad. <laughs> but he's not as bad as his friend Wes Streeting. <laughs> Wes Streeting has a way of eating apples that is just offensive. <laughs> 
so loud, so, I mean, just like, I can't think. And the two of them are eating it in stereo. So I've had to speak to the PLP and ask if they could just like any fruit, not apples, that please. Stop the apples. And what is it about Wes's technique? Is it just that... It's, just, it's, just not, it's, it's not... the big mouth. Right, what you do, you hold the apple, you wait also for the appropriate moment, obviously, and then it's big mouth, and then it's large crunch, right? And then you think, oh, thank God, that's over. No, no, no. There's then the chewing. <laughs> but he's such a neat and tidy guy. I can't imagine him with apple juice all down his chin. It's chair. nothing to do with the juice, it's just the noise. Okay. Just the noise. So it doesn't spill any? Well, I don't look. <laughs> I'm, like, breathing. <laughs> trying to kind of get into a happy place and just ignore where's in his apples. But does Keir chair it like with an iron fist? Are there like rules? Like, and people can only speak for a minute, stuff like that? Is it kind of well... Yeah. And what are the rules of Keir's shadow cabinet? Yeah, we just, we know what the rules are. That's it. All the best rules are always the rules you know what they are and no one says. And does... <laughs> Apart from where's Apart apple... from the apple <laughs> Which but... is an... I, you know, an element of anarchy, which I do think needs to be stopped. <laughs> well, this is people's concern about the Labour Party. You know, does the discipline exist? Um, so who's the naughty... Apart from West Street, who would you say is the naughtiest person on the shadow cabinet table? I've said enough. I'm not saying anymore. <laughs> Maybe it's you, Emily. It's not me. Do people ever sort of pipe up and say, Oh, rubbish. No, Keir, we can't do that, for God's sake. Do people ever sort of... There are ways and ways. There are ways and ways of having a discussion. You don't yeah. say that's rubbish. You know, you, you can obviously... You need to have a discussion. You need to come to decisions collectively. And once a collective decision is made, we all have to... to, um, to you know, we have responsibility for that decision. So you can't have collective responsibility if you don't get an opportunity to say what you think. And that's why it's really important that we don't leak. It's really important that people are honest with each other and supportive... Um, but you Especially have to about do apples. <laughs> <laughs> apples is beyond the pale, obviously. I mean, given what Keir's into, I'm surprised he doesn't have, like, samosas, a couple of cans of San Miguel. <laughs> I think he'd have a sort of a few nan breads and stuff. <laughs> well, we were going to have the Christmas party, but it got cancelled, so maybe we'll have it in the New Year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it, obviously, it is Christmas. This is a Christmas special. Um, if are you a Christmas person, do you get the tree up early? Do you like the music? I do. I do like Christmas. I do like Christmas. Um, a bit late, always on the Christmas shopping, so still got most of that to do. Oh, my God. I know. No, we do. Who have you got we, to buy for? Everyone. It's just... <laughs> we, we have a sort of division where Ed does, Ed does all the cooking. I do most of the Christmas shopping, but not all of it, but we do quite often have rows on Christmas Eve when we're both doing last-minute Christmas shopping. As well, so it's not. <laughs> I can't believe you go shopping on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will bump into my husband. He goes <laughs> I know. Our worst, our worst example is whatever was worst time was we had the year it was we dropped the kids off at my mum's so that we could go and do last minute Christmas shopping, and we were trying to get to Argos on the Basingstoke Ring Road. <laughs> and if anybody's done the Basingstoke Ring Road, there's lots and lots of roundabouts, and they all look very, very similar. And we had. 
managed to miss the key roundabout and miss the key turning and there were these really big traffic jams so we ended up going through the same really big traffic jam twice and Ed was dry I mean he's just he reached he reached totally lost it and just went silent you know which is which is really unusual for Ed and we did finally make it to Argos and then the the next day when we unwrapped our presents from each other we'd each bought each other a sat nav <laughs> Very good. Amazing. <laughs> That's very good. And had you already decided, or was that? <laughs> no, no, it was just it was a total. I hadn't, I hadn't decided what to get him. I was he looking around the Argos catalogue, trying to find what to buy him. That is so funny. <laughs> That's very good. So, Emily, it sounds like your husband will be out on Christmas Eve. Christmas, my husband's out on Christmas Eve. My husband doesn't like Christmas. It's very sad. Why doesn't he like Christmas? I don't know. Hey, I love it. I mean, I have enough enthusiasm for both of us, so it's fine. And he then goes out on Christmas Eve, bad-temperedly, and buys whatever. He makes really good mince pies, um, but otherwise, it's like, that's it, really. He works until the last minute. He goes, oh, I've got to take time off, so I've got to work really hard because I've got lots of judging to do, and I've got to go and get it all done. So he gets that all done right up to the last minute. Then Christmas Eve, he'll go out Christmas shopping. And every year, he does it. And every year, he gets cross. And <laughs> <laughs> on Christmas Day, will you, will you share the, the, the cooking, or is it...? No, either one of us does it, so okay. we can't both do it. So, <laughs> so either I do it or he does it. And who's know. doing it this year? I think I'm doing it. And what are you going to have? I haven't bought it yet. I'm going to go. What I do is I go to Smithfield really late. So on the 23rd at two in the morning, I go to Smithfield. It's great fun. It's great fun. And you go around, and then all the people there know me. And you know, we go around. We buy a turkey. And we tend to go with friends, and we buy a ham, and it's cheap. And it's fun, and it's two in the morning, and you're in Smithfield, and you drink grog when you get home, and it's kind of part of the Christmas tradition. That sounds brilliant. It's really good. It's really good fun. I mean, are you doing it this year? Yeah. We've See gone. you there. This should become like a sort of pie piper, just like the little bit of a meat market with Emily Foster. Oh, God. I bet Channel 5 would make <laughs> I get some odd people really tuning um, in. But we've got to have a break soon. But do you like Christmas? What's your favourite Christmas song? Ah, you want me to sing my Christmas song? Well, Emily's, Emily's written a song. I've written a song. Can I sing it? Ladies and gentlemen, singing a song of her own composition. It's Emily Thornbury! <laughs> In the twelve years of shitmas the Tories gave to me twelve lockdown parties, eleven percent inflation, number ten in meltdown, nine jobs for Barclay, eight feuding factions, seven minted chancellors, six percent fixed rates, five failed PMs, four ethic chiefs, Three grand shabs, two, ju- two jungle jerks, and a crashed economy. <laughs> oh man! Oh. Okay, folks, we're going to have an interval so you can replenish yourself at the bar. We'll be back in the second half with MP4. But please give it up for now for the amazing Yvette Cooper and Emily Thornbury. <laughs>
Well, there you go. I mean, what a way to end uh, part one. But with uh, Emily Thornley's 12 Days of Shitmas, uh, a very special uh, moment in the uh, the literary uh, story of this island. Um, so there we go. That's the first part. Uh, the second part will be out in a week. And don't forget, you can get tickets for future shows, including those amazing ones with Emily Maitlis and John Sopel, Keir Starmer, Eddie Izzard, and many more to be announced. Merry Christmas. Oh, and if you can, leave a five-star written review, share it on the internet, tell all your pals, and uh, I'll see you soon. Ta-ra. Right.